This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to our show Michael Fenton, who is a Springfield City Councilor and a lawyer, and is with us today because he is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for Governor's Council here in the 8th District, that's Western Massachusetts. The Governor's Council is a constitutional office that many people have not heard about. It is a very important office, that office, very important office and a very important institution that confirms or disapproves all nominations for judges in the Commonwealth and has many other responsibilities as well. So, Michael Fenton, thank you so much for being with us. I wish you would explain further, if you would, please, what does the Governor's Council do? And then we're going to get to the question, obviously, of why do you want to serve there? Good morning, and thank you, Bill, for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the show, and to your point, it's particularly important to highlight to the people of Hampshire County and across the entire region uh, the importance of this race and the importance of the institution of the Governor's Council. Um, so uh, the primary function of the Governor's Council is oversight of confirmation proceedings for gubernatorial appointments. Uh, the body serves largely as a check and balance against the executive, and it's a critical function. Uh, it's been a critical function during this Republican-controlled uh, gubernatorial era, and hopefully uh, the next era of uh, a Governor Maura Healey in a Democratic-controlled uh, governor's seat. Uh, the confirmation proceedings relate to a variety of positions, the most notable of which are members of the judiciary. Uh, those are all the members of the Supreme Judicial Court, Appeals Court, Superior Court, District Court, Land Court, Probate Court, and every other court in between. Um, in addition, uh, the board also deliberates on confirmation proceedings for clerk magistrates, members of the Appellate Tax Board, the Pro Board, Industrial Accident Review Board, as well as other less known positions uh, in the form of public administrators and justices of the peace and notaries public. Uh, it is an eight-member board elected by districts across the Commonwealth. And here in Western Massachusetts, we are the eighth district. Uh, we are the largest district by far, 104 cities and towns uh, that encompass essentially, uh, with very limited exceptions, all of Western Massachusetts. The largest so, geographic district, I take it all eight districts have approximately the same number of voters or residents. That's true. That's true. Um, and actually, if you're talking just about number of raw voters, um, the 8th District is not the largest. So when I say the largest, I mean the largest geographic. That's right. Uh, so if you can imagine, it, it encompasses almost all of the four western counties, Hamden, Hampshire, Franklin, Berkshire. And uh, if you picture Massachusetts, uh, the map of Massachusetts, and you were to draw a line north to south through Palmer, essentially everything west of that line is the 8th District. And so with that comes great responsibility uh, for advocating for this region, uh, one of the most regularly forgotten areas of the state, uh, and that means fighting for judges who uh, can effectively represent us and what public safety and uh, justice means in our communities. And it also means a direct tie to the governor's office to advocate uh, for other programs and democratic causes more broadly, whether that be economic development, public safety, infrastructure, uh, combating homeless, uh, houselessness. These are the issues that uh, are important to our region and uh, can be elevated by the governor's counselor from the 8th district. So uh, that's what they do. Um, and it is 
to your point, a historically very little-known board with very significant influence uh, on Beacon Hill. So tell us this. Uh, there are four candidates running for the Democratic nomination for governor's council in this, the 8th district. And that primary, uh, the day after Labor Day, although mail-in ballots are becoming available, uh, that primary will, as a practical matter, decide who will be the next governor's counselor from our 8th district. The present governor's council is not running for, is not standing for re-election. Three of you who are running are attorneys. Uh, one person, that's Tara Jacobs uh, from the Berkshires, is on a, serves on the school committee, is not an attorney. Do you think that being an attorney is an important element of qualification for this position? I do. Uh, I don't think it's an essential element, but I think it's a very important and critical element. Um, uh, there are currently members of the governor's council who are qualified and uh, doing an appropriate job in their positions, and they are not attorneys. So two of the current uh, eight members of the governor's council are not members of the Massachusetts Bar. They're not people who went to law school. And um, nevertheless, they're able to deliberate and do an effective job at, at screening the positions that uh, come before the governor's council and doing effective job on behalf of their constituents. With that said, um, the other six members, the supermajority of the council, are attorneys. And I think that it is a, a very important skill set and one that I, I bring to the table. I'm a shareholder at a regional firm, Chat Schwartz & Fenton. We have offices in Springfield and at 64 Gothic Street in Northampton. And uh, my practice and expertise of representing uh, clients, large and small, all across western Massachusetts, as well as uh, northern Connecticut and eastern New York. I'm also admitted in New York and Connecticut. Uh, is a critical skill to be able to evaluate judges. Um, very uh, active in the legal community and familiar with uh, who the good attorneys are, with sterling reputations, and those are the individuals that uh, I would want to see put their names forward for consideration uh, to a lifetime appointment on the bench. Let me ask you this. You just mentioned you're a shareholder, which I think is fair to translate for uh, a lay audience as a partner, what most people would think is a partner in the law firm of Schatz, Schwartz, and Fenton. That's correct. I, I use the term shareholder because I'm a lawyer, so I'm very precise. Um, because, because we are a professional corporation, we do not have a formal – there's no partner. It's right. not a partnership. It is a corporation, so therefore we are all shareholders. But, um, you know, to uh, a layperson listening, it's the equivalent of a part. Okay. So let me ask you this, because I did take a look at your firm's website uh, in preparation for our discussion today. And what is emphasized on your biography is uh, transactional work, which you can please explain to our uh, listeners. And I'm wondering whether th that has put you in front of many judges and whether or not uh, you have that kind of experience that you would bring to this position if you are elected uh, to the governor's council? Sure. So my practice is a transactional one, and uh, it encompasses representing uh, businesses, principals, and uh, other individuals, uh, everyone from a small mom-and-pop shop creating a business uh, and struggling to make ends meet, to large multinational corporations. So um, I deal with uh, 
everything from very small startup transactions to uh, industrial uh, developers and representing banks dealing with transactions in the tens of millions of dollars. Um, I am not a regular attendee of district or superior court, and I do not regularly appear before the judges uh, that will be subject to confirmation proceedings uh, through the governor's council. Um, I, I think that that's an asset to me in this race um, because I think that there is some level of inherent conflict that exists when you're a practicing trial attorney regularly appearing before judges who you have very recently uh, had a confirmation proceeding uh, about. Uh, so I will not be an attorney that is appearing before justices that I'm confirming. With that said, um, I, I do have experience in litigation, and I do have experience in uh, knowing who the good litigators are in our community. Um, there's a variety of members of the litigation bar uh, who are supporting my campaign, some very prestigious and well-known attorneys in the area, as well as uh, retire many retired judges. And so um, my background appropriately situates me to be able to vet these nominees while also not creating um, a likelihood of future conflict in my practice. Uh, so that's how I would uh, answer that question. And, um, you know, in terms of practice area, you use the term transactional. People are thinking, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Um, I represent a lot of banks on uh, extensions of credit to large companies. Uh, I also represent a lot of individuals on uh, creating their estate plan, primarily in the area of business succession planning. So family-owned businesses trying to decide how to pass on their legacy to the next generation or to their employees. Uh, and I also do a variety of permitting work um, for different institutional clients across Pioneer Valley. We're speaking with Michael Fenton, who's a Springfield City Councilor, an attorney and a candidate for the Governor's Council in our the 8th District. I, you just used the phrase in our community, which raises for me a, an important issue, which is the appointment of judges or not uh, to local courts, district court, probate court in particular, uh, but, but also land court, industrial accident board, and so on. Um, whether it is important and whether you have a position with regard to having local attorneys appointed to those judgeships. Absolutely. It's it's one of the pillars of my campaign is uh, regional equity, making sure that we have local voices that are participants in our courthouses. Uh, what the criminal justice system looks like and what uh, we should be doing in places like Pittsfield is different from what we should be doing in places like Lanesboro. Um, or uh, and, and the differences between what public safety looks like in Springfield is even different from Chicopee, Northampton, North Adams, and Goshen. And we have to be cognizant of that. And um, I would be uh, advocating very strongly for area attorneys to be serving as members of the bench uh, and not having uh, attorneys from you know other areas of the state, whether it be Worcester County or Middlesex or Suffolk, uh, coming in for appointments in, in this region. Um, it, the reality is that because we are the largest geographic region and we are also one of the least populous regions of the state, we need an effective advocate um, who can fight strongly for this area. And I'm running because I believe that that requires a balance of legal acumen and training uh, without conflict, which I possess, as well as a history of advocating in public service, which 
I also possess through my history of democratic activism and working in um, local government. So let me press you on this for a minute. If Governor Maura Healy were to appoint or nominate a person, a lawyer, uh, to a judgeship in a local court, and that person were not from the area, you would be inclined to oppose that nomination? I wouldn't create that type of black and white line distinction. I would have a lot of really difficult questions um, for the administration, for the JNC, and for that candidate. JNC is the Judicial Nominating Committee, which has vetted this person. That's correct. Sorry to the public to use a legal acronym. Uh, that's that 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 is. I would not use a, a a black line test to say no. You're not eligible for consideration. Certainly, there are circumstances where that may be appropriate, but by and large, um, I would be advocating for people from the community to serve as members of the bench um, in the uh, jurisdiction that they'll be serving. The reality is that. When you are a judge and you adorn a robe and you sit in the courthouse, you are not just ruling on the legal matters that are before you. You are making a decision for people who are, in almost all cases, dealing with the most difficult situation in their life, whether that's a divorce uh, in probate court or whether you're a victim trying to seek justice or an accused trying to seek and defend your liberty. Um, these are these are crossroads, and our 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 judges are ambassadors for the Commonwealth, so they need to possess an understanding of the region that they serve. They need to possess uh, sterling reputations and the highest legal ethics and acumen, and they also need to possess the right temperament and humility uh, to be able to be effective ambassadors and to speak to people of all walks of life at the most important crossroads that they're facing. We are speaking with Michael Fenton, who is a candidate for the Democratic nomination, which as a practical matter is will be the will be the deciding vote uh, for governor's council here in the 8th District. At the governor's council recently, there have been some really weird hearings or non-hearings. We're going to talk about that right after this break. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This week's Shop Tuesday is Cocina Lupita. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Cocina Lupita releases certificates for their restaurant in Greenfield. Cocina Lupita is a family-owned food truck in Greenfield serving traditional El Salvadorian food like pupusas, tacos, burritos, agua frescas, and more. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Cocina Lupita in Greenfield, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. The Co-Festival closes its 31-year run this weekend with Izell, Ballad of a Landman, a very special show we've been trying to bring here from Eastern Kentucky and New Orleans for three years. Timed with the sun and suitable for all but the very young, this outdoor daylight event begins and ends with a short walk across Hampshire College Farm Center land led by guides and fiddle players. At the performance site, you'll witness an environmental, cultural, and spiritual parable of domination and resilience, one that explores the complexities of climate change, indigenous erasure, land use, and environmental extraction. Reserve now for this Friday or Saturday evening at 6.15 or Sunday morning at 10.15 a.m. Interested? Visit kofest.com. That's K-O-F-E-S-T dot com. The Co-Festival where the only certainty is surprise. 
Your weed eater. We mean weed whacker, but weed eater fits better in this ad. Makes life simpler. Well, now the mortgage eater from Franklin First does that as well. Franklin First reintroduces the mortgage eater loan. The loan that pays off your first mortgage or works as a second mortgage to give you financial flexibility. Mortgage eater loans start at five-year terms and have no closing costs. So visit franklinfirst.org, get all the details, and apply online. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA, equal housing lender. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Hearing the verdict and hearing the words racial animus were extremely painful for, certainly for myself and for the women and men of the Greenfield Police Department who really do go to work every day to serve the people of Greenfield. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Michael Fenton, who is a candidate for council, the governor's, for being the counselor uh, on the governor's council uh, here in the Western Massachusetts, Massachusetts 8th District. I'd, I'd like to ask you a number of questions about the council and how it has been operating recently. There was some coverage out here about a confirmation hearing that was convened it began, I think, a half hour earlier than the public announcement of when it would start, and there was almost no one there uh, except for some of the counselors. And the hearing went forward anyway, and as I understand it, confirmed the judge. And I'm wondering whether that is a matter that causes you concern. So I think there's a few things at play here. Um, as a member of local elected government for the last 12 years, I am intimately familiar with open meeting law and uh, government accountability. Um, when a meeting is posted to begin at a stated time and place, uh, it cannot begin at any time or place other than that stated time or place. That, I think, is just threshold fairness uh, in terms of public accountability and transparency. Uh, I think the other issue that's at play here is a question about the accessibility of governor's council meetings um, and whether or not these meetings are available for public attendance in person only, uh, whether or not uh, they're available for simulcast uh, recording uh, and later streaming via YouTube, and whether or not public participation is available uh, in person or remotely. And uh, given my prior experience which each, with each of these issues, um, I have some pretty strong feelings on the subject. When I was uh, city council president for three terms, uh, this was one of... This is in Springfield, for those of our listeners who don't know. That's correct. Thank you, Bill. Uh, for three years, one of the hallmarks of my presidency was bringing public transparency, accountability uh, to the process. So... For the first time, um, I 
invested in uh, equipment and capacity to be able to live stream our meetings uh, and to archive them so that they could be viewed via video and audio online at any time. Previously, uh, that was something that had never been done before, and we're talking about um, not 10 years ago in the city of Springfield. Additionally, after we acquired that capacity, we developed uh, a policy, I developed a policy as council president to allow for uh, public speak-out components of the meeting to be uh, also broadcast live and recorded. And previously, that was something that um, even when we were uh, streaming the meetings only live on local access, there was resistance from local officials because, um, as you might imagine, a lot of the testimony that's given when residents come down is um, they want to be heard and they usually aren't happy, whether it's about trash pickup or potholes or what have you. And I thought it was important to the process and to the integrity of government that we record and simulcast those uh, components of the meeting as well. And so we started. And then the last thing that we did was uh, in the third year, we acquired the technology to also uh, record uh, and simulcast all of our committee meetings, which previously um, the only public records that were ever kept of those meetings were uh, handwritten notes. And so all of these things uh, went a great way towards building trust and uh, uh, adding integrity to the process in our government in Springfield and also bringing the government to the people. All of this became essential to our ability to function when the COVID-19 pandemic came around. Uh, we needed the ability not only to have our meetings visible to the public remotely, but to allow counselors and the public to participate remotely in the interest of public health. Um, we were able to do that, and I led on that issue, and as currently the chair of the General Government Committee in the city of Springfield, um, was integral in putting the policies together that uh, allowed us to do that through the COVID-19 pandemic, and now are allowing us to uh, transition into a hybrid model um, as the as the pandemic uh, enters its later phases, uh, I tell you all of this because it's important to the gov the future of the governor's council that they make uh, substantial progress in the way that they approach simulcast remote participation and uh, really opening the meetings to the public in a way that'll increase uh, accountability and transparency in government. And as a member of the Governor's Council, um, I'll not only support those policies, I will actively work as I did in Springfield to bring them to bear. I'd like to go back, if I might, to something I made a note of when we were talking earlier uh, uh, in the first segment of our, of our conversation, and that has to do with uh, your, your experience. And my question is this. Judges uh, preside... Uh, sometimes as finders of fact and, and those who make the determination of guilt or innocence in criminal cases in both district court and superior court, some of the most uh, significant and certainly uh, widely publicized cases that they sit on are, are criminal cases and that a lot of the court's business is in, in, in the criminal sphere. Uh, in addition, the governor's council rules on and makes uh, appointments to final determinations regard to appointments for the parole board. It also has responsibility with regard to commutations. And I'm wondering, given that you have not been a criminal practitioner, how you would approach these important positions uh, in, 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 with regard to those significant responsibilities involving criminal law? Uh, thank you for the question. Um, and I want to, again, highlight the fact that uh, even being a member of the bar is not a 
a, a requisite requirement for this position. There are there are members of the governor's council currently serving, doing a terrific job. People like Eileen Duff, I've uh, been there for a number of years and who do a very effective job at screening judges and other appointees. With that said, um, I am an attorney. And uh, I am also someone who has exposure to the criminal justice system here in Springfield. And I know how important it is to fight for uh, equity in that system. And I have uh, a record of fighting for uh, equity here in Springfield. Uh, I was the principal architect of uh, an author of the police commission ordinance here uh, in our city that uh, through litigation that subsequently ensued, resulted in the reinstatement of the uh, police commission in Springfield, opening the doors of police accountability to the public and uh, bringing back the transparent system of a seven-member board that deliberates on police accountability, hiring, firing, uh, and other public discipline. Uh, I, I tell you that because the ability to screen a criminal judge means understanding what skills are relevant, not necessarily being able to be a criminal uh, litigator, defense attorney, or prosecutor yourself. I want judges who, uh, when proceeding in criminal matters, whether it be superior or district court, have experience in this area litigating. I also want judges who uh, have a history of understanding uh, the impacts of bias in our system, the impacts of a, a, a lack of diversity in our judiciary. Uh, we need more women, more people of color, more LGBTQ plus members of the bench. Um, and I feel really strongly about that, particularly as a gay man. And so uh, those are those are the skills that I would bring to vetting judges, particularly in the criminal context. And I want people who... Um, are present in this moment where we are in this country, people who are anti-racist and who can help undo uh, the wrongs of the past. And that is no more present and relevant in the, in the context of governor's council proceedings than in discussions about who should be members of the parole board. Um, and uh, given my background and experience in working on those matters, I'm very comfortable that uh, I would be able to effectively, uh, very effectively, uh, vet and advocate for appropriate appointees. We have just about a minute left, but there's a political, just overtly political question that I'm just fascinated by. So I want to ask you, you mentioned 104 cities and towns in this district. How do you campaign and what is happening with the campaigns and the various campaigns? Are you having debates? Are you having events? How, how, are you, how, how do you cover 104 cities and towns? Probably not going door to door. I'm exhausted. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's number one. Uh, it, it is a very major undertaking. I've served in a very limited, small area of the world for the last 12 years in a neighborhood that I represent. I know my constituents. They know me. I am at weekly meetings with neighborhood groups. People know my cell phone. They call me when the trash isn't picked up or the pothole isn't fixed or when they have a bad interaction with police. This is a different experience for me because, to your point, Bill, it is a much larger geographic area. And uh, unlike being a local elected official where most people uh, know or uh, know of what the city council does and who their city councilor is, in this 
environment, I'm doing a lot of educating about what the governor's council is and how important it is to the region. And the one thing that I um, continue, the point that I continue to make over and over to folks is that this person needs to be a fierce advocate, not just screening judges and other appointees, which I have the skills to do, but fighting for our region more broadly. And you kind of see people light up when you make that argument to them because there is this consensus that we are often forgotten and that we need people to fight for Western Mass. Um, so I'm prepared to do that. And this campaign uh, has been about hosting events, coffee hours, fundraisers all over the district from Williamstown and Clarksburg to Great Barrington, Springfield, Palmer, Northampton, Athol, and everywhere in between. And uh, we're taking the campaign to the people, but you're right that it is not a shoe leather campaign like I'm used to where you can just go around and meet every single person and know them and their family members. Um, and so a lot of it is about fundraising and, and, and getting out there and being able to, at the end of the race, uh, communicate your message effectively, and uh, we're prepared to do that. Um, the only other thing that you can do in these races is have good third-party validators. And um, I'm proud of the support that I've been able to get from union and labor leaders uh, policemen and firemen, uh, labor councils, people that know my record and know my work uh, as a member of elected government and attorney over the past uh, 12 years, as well as elected leaders from, you know, Sheriff Kochi, D.A. Ash, Congressman Neal, Mayor LaChapelle, Register Olberding. Um, these, are, these are respected leaders in our community and all people who have stepped forward and said that uh, Mike Fenton is the guy who can do this job and do it well for our region, and I'm really proud of uh, of that work. We're going to leave it there because that was what we call a good closing argument, <laughs> which, uh, which I appreciate. Michael Fenton is a candidate for the Governor's Council in the 8th District. Thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Bill. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A new state budget is signed nearly a month into the 2023 fiscal year. Governor Charlie Baker says the $52.7 billion spending plan will support the state's communities, families, businesses, and workers. Baker vetoed just $475,000 in spending. The governor said the spending plan makes what he calls record investments in early education and child care, housing, college financial aid, economic and workforce development, behavioral health care, and local aid. Baker said the budget is in balance, doesn't rely on one-time revenues, and doesn't raise new taxes or fees. It also bans marriage for people under age 18. Valley Community Development of Northampton is proposing to redevelop a former auto repair garage and trucking terminal into 30 affordable condominiums. The property at 20 to 40 Ball Lane in North Amherst would then be sold to first-time home buyers, many who may be racial minorities. The presentation was made to North Amherst residents on Wednesday night, although it's still in the early stages. Northampton police will increase patrols to enforce city ordinances at the Connecticut River Greenway Riverfront Park after several complaints. According to the Northampton PD, there have been numerous complaints about trash buildup, fires, late-night noise, and alcohol consumption from the park. The 11-acre park along the Connecticut River is located at 68 Damon Road and offers a boat ramp for canoes and rowing, a wheelchair-accessible walkway, parking, trails, and a beach area. 
Sun cloud mixed today. There is the chance for a late day scattered shower, a high of 86 to 90. Chance for showers this evening as well. Otherwise, variable clouds, low 58 to 64. Mostly sunny tomorrow, a high of 82 to 86. Mid 80s, a sun cloud mix on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Cámara aprobó el jueves un paquete de 280 mil millones de dólares para impulsar la industria de semiconductores y la investigación científica en un intento por crear más empleos de alta tecnología en los Estados Unidos y ayudarlo a competir mejor con sus rivales internacionales, a saber, China. La Cámara aprobó el proyecto de ley por un sólido margen de 243 contra 187, enviando la medida al presidente Joe Biden para que se convierta en ley y proporcionando a la Casa Blanca una importante victoria en política interna. 24 republicanos votaron a favor de la legislación. Los republicanos argumentaron que el gobierno no debería gastar miles de millones para subsidiar la industria de los semiconductores y el liderazgo del Partido Republicano en la Cámara recomendó votar en contra del proyecto de ley y les dijo a los miembros que el plan proporcionaría enormes subsidios y créditos fiscales a una industria específica que no necesita ayudas adicionales del gobierno. En otras informaciones, un acuerdo inesperado alcanzado por los demócratas del Senado sería la acción más ambiciosa jamás tomada por Estados Unidos para atender el calentamiento global y podría ayudar al presidente Joe Biden a acercarse a cumplir su promesa de reducir las emisiones de gases de efecto invernadero a la mitad para 2030, dijeron expertos el jueves mientras revisaron un proyecto de ley masivo que revive la acción sobre el cambio climático semanas después de que la legislación pareciera muerta. El acuerdo gas Gastaría casi 370 mil millones de dólares durante 10 años para impulsar los vehículos eléctricos e impulsar las energías renovables como la energía solar y eólica, así como desarrollar fuentes de energía alternativas como el hidrógeno. Biden calificó el proyecto de ley como histórico e instó a una aprobación rápida. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is Your State You with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Max is with us. Every Friday, we really appreciate your time, Max. I'd like to turn to an important labor issue, front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette and front page as a teaser in the New York Times, <coughs> excuse me, not to mention the Boston Globe, a major union victory here in Hadley, Massachusetts. Front page, a teaser on the New York Times. This is big news. What happened? Why did it happen? What does it portend? So, yes, our... Our family store of Trader Joe's, which I think has about 500 stores nationwide, is the first Trader Joe's to vote to unionize. So those workers voted 45 to 31 just uh, yesterday to, uh, to form a union. And I'll say, Bill, why this is so important is that as we've seen with Starbucks, once one store goes, I think many other stores say, hey, we're going to do that. They've been probably wanting to, but um, needed the inspiration and the sense that this is really possible to start to start doing that. So what we're obviously hoping is that many other stores will also start to unionize. And this is so important when the, these major 
stores. Obviously, we've seen it at Starbucks and and now at Amazon. That um, to see to to get them to their workers to stand up and and demand a union. It's very very important for for workers everywhere. There was an interesting uh, debate uh, already ongoing between the newly unionized workers at Trader's Joe, Trader Joe's here in Hadley and management. And management said, well, we'll look at the uh, contracts uh, for comparable kinds of uh, workplaces and we'll use them as a model. And the uh, employees said, wait a second, we're our own place. We are different. We have our own concerns. We're not negotiating somebody else's contract. And I'm wondering what you make of that debate. Well, I mean, I just believe that every worker and, and work site has a chance to um, to organize. What I do think is I suspect will happen is that um, they will also be working closely with other workers at other Trader Joe's and want to find some common ground and some baseline issues. There will likely be very similar issues while also, as you say, unique ones to each particular store. Let me let me ask you this, because I was struck by the difference in the reporting. I, I, not surprised, but I was struck by it, by how the Gazette reported the story and how the New York Times reported the story. And if not surprisingly, the New York Times starts with, well, by the second graph, what does this mean for all the other stores across the nation? That's the end of the Daily Hampshire Gazette story. I think it's really important for workers here in the Valley, for employees here in the Valley, who I think will be inspired to unionize uh, and organize more, uh, given this victory over a very large nationwide corporation, Trader Joe's. Um, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are as to both of these aspects of this uh, unionization vote, which is uh, – what does it mean here in the Valley and what does it mean for other Trader Joe's across and other similar kinds of uh, uh, businesses across the country? But let's start here in the Valley. Well, I mean, Bill, I just think that it's I mean, it's a, it's a credit to our to our region that's very strong in support of unions. And I know a lot of customers, including myself, were were supporting them. And there was a huge uh, turnout last weekend of area um, activists to in support of those workers. I mean, I think there was a few hundred people. I think Congressman McGovern was there. I unfortunately could not be there, but there were many MTA members in support as well. So basically, I mean, what this is a kind of a credit to our region that this would happen here, because while it, of course, starts with the workers in a particular workplace, this, in this case, Trader Joe's, they gain confidence when there is support from the wider community. So that's that's a good sign about the Valley. But I think the, the impact is much larger across the state um, and across the nation. Because when you have a corporation where there are zero unions and then you break through, it's just an opening and others lift up, lift up their eyes or gain the greater confidence and say, wait, we, we can do that too. Why not? And then you start to learn that the conditions you have are not unique to you know one one bad local boss, but actually are a problem throughout the industry because so many of these large and incredibly profitable corporations get that way because of the way they underpay and underbenefit or overwork their workers. So this is part of a, a broader movement that I find incredibly exciting. And in fact, uh, we, the MTA, are having our summer conference this weekend at UMass Amherst starting this Sunday. 
and we will uh, we have invited and um, they've accepted our our workers from some of the Brookline and Boston area Starbucks, as well as the leaders of the Amazon labor union, Chris Smalls and Derek Palmer, and they will be there to talk about their struggles and successes and uh, the continuing fight. Now you're going to have to lead all those teachers from UMass campus to Route 9 and Hadley to go do a grocery shop over at the Trader Joe's, I guess. I think we might have to. We're actually going to hope that we can in, invite one of those leaders to at least be recognized at our events. Max, quick question. You know, you were talking about big corporations and kind of cracking through that. This is the reason why you'll see like a movement to try to unionize a specific um, McDonald's and they would rather shutter and demolish that entire McDonald's restaurant rather than allow that particular McDonald's to unionize so that it doesn't spread. Is that correct? Absolutely. Walmart has done that. Starbucks is doing that. Suddenly they're saying, well, we have to shutter a bunch of stores. I mean, that is, you know, I mean, it's it's a terrible action. Um, it's also just a sign of how frightened they are of the idea of these workers who've been exploited saying we're not taking it anymore. Um, and it looks terrible. These are these are corporations that try to portray themselves as wonderful employee employers. That's part of their allure. Right. Trader Joe's has a certain allure. Right. As um, you know, as sort of a sophisticated and progressive place. Similarly, Starbucks is that similar kind of idea. And so the, when they start to shutter stores and go you know, out and out against these unions, I think it hurts their brand significantly. I'd like to ask you a question, uh, and, I, and I don't mean to be a, 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 a infuse lack of uh, faith. Uh, into this conversation, but there's something I do know from the uh, decades that I spent representing unions here in the Valley, and that is that once you unionize, then the really, once you win that vote to become a union, to become a recognized bargaining agent for the employees, then the hard work starts because it's difficult to achieve that first contract. I mean, it's really, really difficult and it takes a lot of persistence and energy and uh, continued organizing efforts. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that, Max. So, Bill, it's exactly right. And I think many listeners um, won't understand that. It's like, okay, great. I understand these people voted for a union. Terrific. And now, in, you know, so now they sit down tomorrow and in a few months they'll have a contract. That's not the way um, it works because we have incredibly weak labor laws in this country. Um, and so uh, the corporations could put up incredible roadblocks in part because there's very little punishment for not negotiating in good faith or working to undermine the union in, in, in other ways. Right. And because so the remedy, when, they're, when the companies don't bargain in good faith, they just go on and on and on and on. They don't give concessions and they don't improve health care and they don't improve wages and they don't do this and they don't do that. You file an unfair labor practice charge saying they're not bargaining in good faith and then you go on for that for months and then there's an order that the company has to, the employer has to bargain in good faith. I mean, that's where you go. That's what happens. Exactly, exactly. There's very little punishment and whatever, you know, financial punishments there might be are, you know, that's like nothing for these corporations. And I think people don't realize that how much they can get away with, that is the corporations can get away with and how much things are stacked against the workers. That said, um, now they have a union. Now they have the standing to go challenge, to organize and to challenge um, in court or the, 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 the um, the National Labor Relations Board, 
but it, it will take that continued community support. So that community support that you saw last weekend for Trader Joe's will have to be there ongoing in order to force the, the company to negotiate. But as they spread, as more and more, hopefully with Trader Joe's and Starbucks and Amazon, as they spread, it becomes harder for the corporations to simply uh, you know, ignore and undermine on all fronts. They will do their best and they will spend Jeff Bezos's you know, um, aircraft billions in order to undermine it. But um, that's that's the challenge. And I think I think as more and more uh, workers unionize on these stores, um, we'll be able to win important victories. And the take home lesson here is that the employees, the workers at Trader Joe's are going to need our support. And with that support, they will achieve a successful first contract. Max Page, can you stay with us? I want to ask you what's going on with the fair share amendment. I know there's news we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Great. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Moses and Kitch want out of their Chicago neighborhood and off the corner to which they are tethered. They dream of things, clean socks and the return of a dead brother, things that await in the promised land. If only they can pass over. The Chester Theatre Company presents Pass Over, Antoinette Nwandu's surreal and morbidly funny existential drama, the first play performed when Broadway reopened last year. Pass Over, this week and next week. Get tickets now at chestertheater.org. Sidewalk sales, downtown Northampton. Sidewalk sales, walk away with... A rug, a mug. Walk away with a bargain. Sidewalk sales... Now, in downtown Northampton. State Street Fruit Store. What the heck is a fruit store anyway? Well, State Street opened in Northampton in the 1920s as a fruit store, selling local fruit and other produce from the valley. And even though State Street has grown to be much more, deli, wines, spirits, they are still a fruit store. And right now, State Street and their sister store, Cooper's Corner in Florence, are buried in berries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, schnozberries. Okay, they don't have any schnozberries, but they've got every other kind of local berry going. State Street, Fruit Store, and Cooper's Corner have always offered produce, picked by our Connecticut River Valley neighbors as soon as and as long as they're available. So come get fruit at a fruit store. Northampton has always been a fruity place. We are what we eat. State Street Fruit Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in even fruitier Florence. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the 
Vaya con Muñoz with Natalia Muñoz. Saturday mornings at 10. WHMP. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Oh, I love love the musical intro. Because, baby, you're not a rich man. Okay, and we are going to talk for the few minutes we have left with Max Page, the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, about the Fair Share Amendment that uh, will be on the ballot in November here in Massachusetts. Uh, remind our listeners, if you would, please, Max, what is the Fair Share Amendment? And then tell us the news, which is really really interesting and important. All right. Well, um, the Fair Share Amendment very simply asks people who make over a million dollars a year in income to pay a little bit more, four cents on every dollar over one million dollars in income every year to um, to pay for better public schools, more affordable public colleges, and better roads, bridges, and public transportation systems. Simple as that. If you don't make a million bucks a year in income, you're not paying a dime more. And those are the very, very wealthiest will pay a little bit more in order to have what we all need, better schools, colleges, and transportation systems. And a lot of people agree. And the Globe just did a, a poll the other day. Yesterday it was revealed, and it was um, 50, 56% uh, in support, 36% opposed. We feel good about that. And that's before we really started making uh, the argument broadly and media and the like. So I think Massachusetts residents get it that we need the funds from the, for our schools and colleges and transportation systems. And they get it that, you know what, most likely they will not, they do not make a million bucks a year and they will not be making a million bucks a year. We're talking about the very wealthiest. It's not even the 1%. It's half of 1% of Massachusetts households make more than a million bucks a year. So we're talking truly the very, very wealthiest people who've gotten much wealthier during the pandemic, um, asking them to pay a little more for the sources of their prosperity and wealth, which is the great public education in Massachusetts, our roads and bridges and transportation systems. So that's what the Fair Share Amendment is. It seems to be in good support and we are working tirelessly in the Fair Share Campaign and the Mass Teachers Association to make sure that it passes on November 8th. And there are ways in which people can show up um, on, no, on uh, actually today in East Hampton, um, there is going to be a canvas, meaning going door to door, talking to neighbors about this 5 p.m. Um, in East Hampton. And uh, next on Tuesday, August 9th, uh, again in Northampton, I think leaving from Pulaski Park, people gather there and then go take a little turf a few blocks in in Northampton and go door to door and I have done it and find it a wonderful experience you get to have a conversation with neighbors almost all of them all of them <laughs> do not make a million bucks a year and are um, glad to have this um, chance to get a permanent source of funds for schools and colleges and transportation well we just have a minute left Max but help me out on this how do, is it that 36 percent of the people say, no, I don't want people who are making more than a million dollars a year to pay four cents on the dollar for over a million dollars a year. How can, how can that not be close to, well, you know, 90 percent? Where's the opposition come from? 
Well, we certainly need a, a more than a minute to discuss that because it's a nationwide problem where people are voting against their interests. Look, there's a, a long, there's a, there's a core in Massachusetts who will vote for Donald Trump. That's probably the same percentage who voted for Donald Trump. There's a core who will vote um, for charter schools. There were a core who will vote, frankly, against uh, immigrants having driver's licenses when, if and when that gets on the ballot, the effort to revoke the driver's license bill. There's a core of people who are very just angry, skeptical of government, um, and very conservative in some ways. And that's just the truth, whether or not they would benefit from from the fair share amendment, which they would. Everyone will benefit, even the millionaires and billionaires. No, particularly, so particularly the millionaires and billionaires. Because it's it, particularly the millionaires and billionaires because it's building the infrastructure that is the basis for the wealth they have accumulated and the millions that they are making. Max, we got to leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us every week. We really appreciate it. Speak more next week. Thank you, Bill. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, Your message at whmp.com. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, the only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10.